I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In the 1990s, the Iron Curtain finally came down, making it possible for approximately one million Russian-speaking Jews to flee and immigrate to Israel. It was the biggest single immigration wave in Israel since the 1950s. But many things have changed since Israel began accepting immigrants, or olim as they are called in Hebrew, in the golden years of the 1950s. Then the concept of the melting pot embraced by Ben-Gurion in the hope of creating one homogenous Israeli culture kept the Israeli society from disintegrating into secluded factions by enforcing severe pressure to erase the past completely and assimilate at any cost. But that policy has dissipated over time. The result was, and in many ways still is, a cultural chaos. Amidst this chaos enters Alex Riff, a daughter to Russian-speaking parents. Alex was raised as an Israeli, but realized that something inside her longs for her ancestors' Russian culture. She formed the group Generation 1.5 in the goal of bringing new life to the Russian-Israeli culture. Alex joins us today to speak about her struggles, her hopes, and her initiatives. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. What would you say is the most Russian thing about you? Wow. I hope that's not like politically incorrect. <laughs> My most Russian thing. Hmm. Um, that's a tough question. Well, actually, may- maybe the most Russian thing is I'm actually not Russian. I'm from the Ukraine. Ah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a trick question. Yeah. But I w- I'm actually from the former Soviet Union, so I was yeah. born... When so what's was... the most Soviet thing about you? Because I, when I was in Russia, you know, everybody that seemed I can, like answer yeah. really quickly. <laughs> I don't know why. So what I is guess it? it's like the very uh, the the labor, like the hard work you have okay. to. Right. You can't never rest. Yeah. Because like my parents never taught me to rest. The work always ethics. Work, always working, no resting. Because the motherland will suffer. Yes. <laughs> if you don't. That work. was a Russian accent. It was a little bit. <laughs> so, okay. So you always have to, you're very, uh, so you're we very always have to work industrious. And, and that's pretty much says it all. Cause that's how my life, um, that's was. how you were yeah, brought that's up. That's how yeah. I was brought up. And I don't know, like my, my history or my story is that I was born in the, in the Ukraine and former Soviet Union. And when I was five, we, made Aliyah to Israel. And from my first day in kindergarten, I understood that I'm different and, I, and that I'm not like everybody else. So I came to this um, very noisy kindergarten and everyone looked at me all of a sudden and started laughing. So apparently my adorable mother dressed me up in a white lace dress, thick tights, sandals, and a big red bow. So... I understood that if I want to fit in, I have to forget my Russian culture. So for about 20 years, I didn't want to speak Russian, know any Russian, know any culture of my family. And I did everything I can to become Israeli. So I finished high school and I went to a community service year. And you have no accent in Hebrew? In Hebrew. 
Yeah, I, I worked really hard on it. I don't know how because I was five years old, but I did. So, and, and like volunteering, doing all those Israeli stuff, volunteering. I, I, then I became an officer in the IDF and then I went to my first and second degree in the university, started working in this really influential and interesting job in the public service. And then after everything has been accomplished... All of a sudden, I started feeling like something was missing. You were the perfect Israeli. I'm the perfect story of Israeli. You were. Up I were. Until that yeah. Point. yeah. Because then I started understanding that I, 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 did, I do have everything. I did. I had everything. But the thing that was missing was me. Because for all of those years, I never stopped thinking what I want to do and what I want to be. And... Ask myself, who, who am I? Not because other people wanted me to be or wanted me to work hard or to study hard or to do that and this. What do I want to do? And then I started for the first time writing poems about my immigration experience. So I'm writing poems for my entire life, but never thought about doing anything about it. What was the first poem about? Really? You want to know? Yeah. My first poem was when... Um, Yitzhak Rabin was murdered and I had no idea who's Yitzhak Rabin but everyone was really sad so I wrote a poem about how people shouldn't murder each other uh, and how everything should be in peace. So Still relevant. Uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Political. Well, uh, but you're, I mean, there, you see here in Israel there's a lot of communities of Russians that have kind of remained secluded. And that haven't assimilated in that way. So it must have been a conscious decision on your parents' part to put you in an Israeli school and try and make you an Israeli. All schools are Israeli. Yeah. You don't have a Russian school, except for maybe one or two Mofet. But it's really, it's the, um, I think that it, it does depend where you grew up. I grew up in Netanya, but... In my school, there weren't many Russians. But I want mm-hmm. to say that, like, from, from my kindergarten, I remember being the only Russian. A couple of months ago, I found a, an old picture of my kindergarten kids. And I saw his Russian, and his Rus- he's definitely Russian. Apparently, I had a lot of, like, at least five more Russian kids. I just didn't remember them. Because when I decided being Israeli, I became totally Israeli, which means I didn't see them. I couldn't care about them. I saw them. I have this poem, and it goes like that, okay? And it says the whole story. Its name is Yevgeny. The day Yevgeny came to kindergarten, the sun shone. He was smaller than I, whiter than I, and smelled of fear. I was the one who explained him in distinct Hebrew words that socks and sandals are, how to say, ugly, and that a herring sandwich is, so to speak, smelly, and that he should speak in Hebrew. This is not Russia. The day Evgeny came to kindergarten, I was happy. So I totally became... What, what, whatever they did to me, I you did, did a to favor others. to Evgeny by explaining <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, might help him I not might, to, yeah. to get 
uh, I don't know get the same traumas as I had first of all and also not to get hit <laughs> by 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 the other kids and ridiculed by them and also you saved them from herring sandwiches <laughs> which is doing a lot which is disgusting <laughs> yeah. no, thing it's is actually tasty. my partner loves herring sandwiches ah, yeah. and he's American okay so no i can't i can't no. stand the what is it salted fish or whatever yeah yeah my dad loves no, it but the, the poem is very strong but uh, okay but what i want to get back to Aiton is you realize something is missing and what what then when i realized something was missing i understood that i started writing those poems and then i realized that i'm becoming this something else After years of being embarrassed and trying to hide, I all of a sudden started writing about it. But all of my friends, who was really Israeli and Tabar, knew me as this other thing, as this Israeli thing. And I started feeling as I'm lying to them. So I wanted to tell them who, what I'm finding out. And then this first evening that we called Tusovka, Immigration Poetry, Me and other artists spoke about their immigration experience through their art, music, poetry, slam, mu- uh, poetry. And this was three years ago. Ever since we made this evening, we traveled with it through Israel more than 70 times. 30 different artists, all of whom born in the former Soviet Union are traveling. coming and speaking about their immigration experience in Hebrew through their art. And this was the first step. This was the first step understanding that it's interesting. People are coming and listening and want to speak their experiences. And that a lot of people who are coming are not Russian speaking. It's Tzabar, Israelis and their friends. And, and they're excited about it as if it was their story. I guess because being different and being not liked is... something that a lot of people can assimilate to and, and the poem that you just like didn't read to us but the poem you just told Evgeny. us about was in english Evgeny. yeah um i mean is that word for word as the poem yes yeah is it was it did you write it in english no hebrew i see I write so, but you've translated it so yes. you know how to i see and so everything's in hebrew and none of the everything. poems that uh that you guys recite at these uh events are written in russian or anything like that no No. But you, you don't sing, sing in Russian during the I sing the in Russian. Yes, I yeah. do. But the stories that we read and, and speak about are in Hebrew. We, we sometimes sing in Russian because singing is something that you don't have to understand word by word. You can just feel. Right. But you need to understand the story. We're telling you the story. So this was the first step of, of what later became the Cultural Brigade, our group of artists. Or Generation 1.0, or it's, it's not, not the, the same, same thing. thing. Okay. No, Generation 1.5 was established during 2011. Do you know what the me- term means, Generation 1.5? Explain 1. to 5? us, please. Generation 1.5 is a term that means um, it's not the first generation that was being born in other country came here as the first generation. It's not the second one that was born here. It's something in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it's children that were born... in other country but came here in a young age went through all the acclimation yeah process. thank you here yeah and they have two cultures two languages and a lot of times they don't feel connected they, they don't feel at home in any of them 
So mm-hmm. it's something in the middle, something very mixed. Yeah. So this is Generation 1.5. The group was established 2011 after the social protest where uh, young Russian-speaking Israelis felt that Uh, their voice, the Russian-speaking voice is absent from the protest. Things like pension or lack of pension, contract workers, guillot issues, mm-hmm. marriage. A lot of issues that are especially... Maybe more important than the issues, or at least as important as the issues that were uh, risen during the protests. It's just different. But, but as they say, they were absent. They weren't there. Mm-hmm. Russian-speaking... Israelis didn't went to protest. They weren't at the protest. Yeah. And those issues weren't raised. So they wanted to speak these issues, usually on Facebook. They opened this Facebook page and started speaking about those issues. Right. And when I joined the group to sell, like three years ago, three and a half years ago, what I was interested about was this cultural issue. So we started doing those events. After that was our first project. I met... what I called my first Russian friend, because I didn't have Russian friends up until then, called Barry Rosenberg. He was then um, working with the mayor of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And together we built a project called Israeli Novigod. Do you know what's Novigod? Yeah, it's like uh, Christmas, right? Or am I mistaken? <laughs> That's how it's perceived, like the Russian Christmas. But yeah, we have enlighten no us. Okay, so Novi God, uh, Novi is new, God uh-huh. is year. Mm-hmm. It's the New Year's Eve. Okay. That was being celebrated on the 31 of December since Stalin days up until today. Ah, it's um, a Sylvester. Wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. No. New Year's Eve, Sylvester, Sylvester. Novi God. Do you know who Sylvester is? No, tell me. Thank you. Do you know who Stalin is? <laughs> well. Thank you. Well, Sylvester is a Christian saint that apparently died in mm-hmm. the 31 of December. It doesn't have to do with Russian at all. Yeah. But Novigod is the only holiday that Stalin um, permitted. Allowed. permitted allowed, he had to thank de-religify you, it. That, that doesn't, didn't have anything to do with uh, the... Nation. nation with, with religion. With religion. No, religion. With religion, well, he banned all religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people wanted to celebrate. People wanted something that can, can be like family-wise, sit together. And this was the, it wasn't the 1th of May. It wasn't those, you know, party celebrations. And people really loved this holiday because it was a family holiday, mm-hmm. a, a secular holiday when you can sit around the table, eat, laugh, um, drink together. Yeah. So they continued celebrating and. In Israel but in Israel it became Sylvester and people started saying that you're not Jewish enough if you're celebrating it so what would we're trying to do in this project Israeli Novigod is explain exactly that that this is secular family holiday we did this huge campaign in Hebrew in colorful uh, Facebook and we went on a lot of um, network like networks Israeli mm-hmm. networks to explain that and And we reached on Facebook more than one million people with this campaign with almost no money. And this was our first thing first sign that this interests people. Mm-hmm. Not like those evenings one here, one two here. It's a huge amount of people that were interested in this thing because a lot of Russian speakers really stood up 
for this project stood after it and 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 shared it and liked it and told their stories because it was first the first time that they felt that someone is speaking their voice and they don't have to be ashamed anymore about their uh, holiday because I remember for years that I was ashamed I didn't tell anyone that I'm celebrating it I was doing it like on my with in my house without saying to anybody so this was our first project what would you say your main goals were or are in these initiatives so we say that we're trying to make the storing culture of russian speaking israelis part of the israeli culture because today it's absent it's not there at all we don't study about it in schools we don't see it in tv on television like most of co- of the cult- ethnic cultures in israel well you i think it's Iraqi, changing that's exactly see... the melting pot that has been here for three four five decades and today it's not relevant anymore more and more groups today are saying that my history and my family is interesting like the next project we did called operation veteran which means we told the stories of our grandparents who fought in the world war ii with the red army mm-hmm. so this more than half a million jews fought more than half of them didn't return and a lot of them are here with us living in israel but their stories are not here we don't learn them in schools and we wanted to say that those people well they're here with us you know the for the, the time being yeah actually their age today the, yeah they're very tw- old 90 like 80 92 right. yeah but but like We wanted to make them here. You know what I mean? So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring our culture to this relevant of today. Which brings me to, if, if we can delve a little bit inside, but if every subculture in Israel would try to push or bring its culture to the Israeli culture, then there would be no Israeli. There's a paradox here. The Israeli culture is the absence of other subcultures. If you bring all the little cultures, it, then what is Israeli cu- culture? That's very naive of you. Israeli well, I'm a culture, naive person. Israeli culture is actually the Ashkenazi culture yep. that built Israel in the first years that Enforced. had enough power to right. enforce her culture. Yes. Nothing, uh, was, nothing was born from ashes. Like everything was being... taken from other places but then put like Israeli this is Israeli this is now new right so what we're trying to say is that we can gain from this multiculturalism because every culture has its beautiful history holidays and you don't have to choose for many years I chose between my Russian culture and my Israeli culture and then I ended up with nothing because I didn't felt belonged not to the one and not to the other. But when you can say, I can bring to the table, to the Israeli table, I can bring those evenings of my immigration experience and this holiday. And now we just finished a couple of, half a year ago, um, Odessa Tel Aviv Festival. Odessa is this beautiful Ukrainian-Russian city. And we made an Israeli 
festival where artists did contemporary Israeli works in the spirit of Odessa and its connection to Tel Aviv. Very today style, not speaking about this whatever happened 100 years ago without relevancies for today. And it was interesting. So I think that it will only bring, make the table bigger and make more people sit around this Israeli table instead of making it only a one-way show. So after this Novigod yes. uh, success, you, you, you started a Facebook group or a Facebook page or something? You got a million followers or what was it? I mean, exactly. A million yeah. people reached our campaign through okay. the Novigod. It was a month and a half. Well, we got wow. from zero. We just started working. More mm-hmm. than one million reaches. And so after that, what, what was the next step? So next step, we did this second campaign, Operation Veteran that we spoke about our grandparents mm-hmm. and exactly the same. We did a lot of media, a lot of Facebook. We, we, we spoke about our parents and their experience. Like I found out that I have a grandparent, grandfather, that was uh, in the gulag. Do you know what's a gulag? Mm-hmm. Yep. Work you spoke camp. about it? Sorry? You had a... Um, nope. We can speak about it's it. An it's an interesting... Well, it's we did. We had uh, uh, just that was on whose yeah. uh, sort of grandfather had a brother who survived the holocaust prisoners of zion this is yeah like this is something else though gulagim is not the prisoners of zion yeah but the prisoners of zion said in gulags some of them <laughs> no okay. yeah, no it's it's a bit earlier cuz okay. the gulags are most of it through the stalin ages right not uh, the zionists are like more than 80s 70s okay but I had a grandpa who, who was sent to uh, Karelia, very cold cities, um, and survived after three years of very hard labor. Right. And no one spoke about it. Just he never spoke Gulag about it. for the listeners. And- Gulag are camp, um, uh, working camps that Stalin has opened for whoever didn't agree with him it was like communists uh, that didn't agree with them socialists the gay. lucky ones were sent to the gulags <laughs> jews that's but, true but, but there was a lot of them died. a lot of them were sent to the gulags right. i want to say that up until today it's an issue that is not really being dealt with in russia we were, we were just returning from st petersburg because now we're getting ready for our next festival there will be st petersburg festival and we spoke about it that up until today is something that are not speak speaking about and um, there's this um, underground thing going on in St. Petersburg where people are um, putting those, it's not stickers, it's like um, plaques. plaques on houses where people were living and then they were took to camps or like to, the stepping stones in berlin yeah exactly or killed and this is like very underground people are putting it and it's not like yeah it's interesting because russia never really had that reckoning like germany did after yeah. world well War it did but for like five seven years and then it like when but not when really because they fell, yeah they were part of the you know the victors 
so they never really had to look themselves in the face. Um, yeah, no, but true. okay. Yeah. When when you know, when the when fell, they had this ten yeah. years of maybe something ah, yeah. will be changing, and then yeah. it did. But here's the thing: I don't get Alex, but I I have to go back to that yes, philosophical no, debate because uh, there's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance here. That's how you say it, right? In English, mm. no. No. How know. do you say it? No, I'm kidding. That's it right. Okay. Nice. Fucker. <laughs> so, uh, which is... You can say those words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is... Cognitive dissonance? Yeah. <laughs> it's totally fine. You long for a culture and you yearn for a culture that, that in this culture you have the gulags and you have deep-rooted anti-Semitism and you have... It's a culture that hates you. It's a culture... When you say Novigod... You know, it represents people. When you say all the Russians were brought together to... Who are these Russians? They are people who hated your forefathers. They are people who sent your forefathers. And this is the culture you long to. It's a very good question, Al. And I have a very good answer. You know, whenever you someone do. will tell you it's a good question, it means that he has a very good answer right. for it. Anyway, I once asked my mother what, um, what will make her uh, go to... Pro go to the street and protest political protest and she thought about it and she said mm, i guess only if you or your brother will be um in a danger in a life danger now that's a very difficult answer because it means only if your brother would be in life danger you or your brother you or your will brother. be okay. in life danger okay. which means nothing else no matter how hard it'll be here won't make her believe that she can change life here in a democratic ways and when i ask her another question where when uh, in pesach i once asked her when did you feel like where was your freedom here like did you went from freedom to me avdut lecherut from the freedom or freedom depression when she came from russia to yes. here or the other way so her answer was you know there i was young and i had no worries And this is pretty much the answer itself. Because those people that we are telling those stories, most of them are our parents. And th their lives was everything. It was Stalin, but it was also their youth. And they also believed. I have this poem. I, d I don't have it translated to English, but I'm saying that my mother was a communist and she really believed in socialism. And she really, really believed this is the right way of living. And when she found out about Stalin... It pretty much crushed her. Crushed her. Right. So um, we're not trying to idealize the story. Not at all. Operation Veteran was not about who won the war. We don't care to say, to say that Russia won the war. It's not the story. Operation the story Veteran, is, let's put it on the side for no, a minute. No, I'm saying that we're, we're telling the personal stories of the people, of the one soldier that his, their stories are not being told. Yes, but in the evenings that you do in the shows, you talk about the culture. No, we're not. We're talking about a lot of the Hebrew culture. Odessa Tel Aviv is a Hebrew, is a place where the Hebrew culture was born. It's Echad Am and Jabotinsky and Tcharnikovsky. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to do... But trying to celebrate Novigod, for example, which was a holiday established by a man who... It wasn't established yeah. by him. It was before yeah. that. He was... He allowed it to continue. Right. Mm -hmm. But what matters is that our parents love this holiday. And it means to them a lot of very good things. You know, I don't know how to say, but 
we're saying a lot of people ask us but it's not jewish you know it's not jewish why are you doing it so it's the same answer i think that what's important is not only the jewish as the torah or things like that it's what was jewish how jews were living their lives you know how what's they were, were they day-to-day they couldn't lives? live their lives the reason they the, the communism crushed them and this is why they went far further and further away from jewish lives and uh, so true. what you are celebrating is the crushed jewish life crushed but, by communists but not only because today now we're working about exactly this project of Asiration. How, how did you... Prisoners of Zion. Prisoners of Zion to speak their story. And we're Very trying important. to yes. find where they were. This St. Petersburg Festival is... We're trying to find what's interesting in, in the, what was Jewish, even though it was crushed. We're not trying to sell this only one-sided story. We're trying to say it's complicated, but we're not trying to... You know, a lot of times I feel that when we um, crush something, like not the entire Soviet Union was bad, we're crushing the people with it. And those people that were living there had, a good, had good things in their lives. We're not, it's not like we're trying to do, okay, this, you know, something minimized that were in their lives, let's make it popular. Novi God was continued celebrating by thousands and the hundreds of people here were just saying, make it okay and not make them ashamed of it. But Did- I have to say that I, I think, I mean, I hate to say that that, that, Noel, I'm right. that Noel has something to yes. what he's saying, but I, I, I really hate to say it. I can't express how much I hate saying that. No, but I, I'm saying from a, I agree with you. I don't think, I don't agree with what you said to begin with, that all, you have to suppress all these subcultures in order to bring Israeli culture. But there is something, let me challenge you for a second, where, I mean, I, I made Aliyah, and I made Aliyah with a lot of Americans. And I, can, I saw friend after friend after friend leave the country. And I think that if you had to draw a distinction between the people who left, and this is different slightly than your experience, but if you have to draw a distinction between the people who left and the people who stayed, it's clearly the people who remained in that bubble of Olim or of Americans or of Anglos or English speakers, and as opposed to the people who assimilated and and tried to be Israeli. And... I mean, I don't know. I I don't want to deny my American heritage, and I don't. Though so you should. I, <laughs> yeah, if I if I had any. But it was but, never a question. That's exactly that. Then when Americans come here, they don't have to choose. But when Russians come here, they do. And I'll give you several exceptions, ex- examples, and I'll, I'll I'll make an answer for you too. I have a friend that has twins. She's Russian. Her. Um, Husband is French. So the daughters speak both Russian, Hebrew, and French. So when someone hears those two girls speaking French in the kindergarten, the, uh, it goes like that. Wow, they speak French. That's such an amazing language. Wow, romantic. When they hear them speak Russian, the, it goes like that. They speak Russian. After 25 years in Israel, you still speak Russian to them. Why don't you start? Why don't you learn like Hebrew? That's the language. And that's exactly that. When you hear someone speaking English, you'll never tell him, go speak in Hebrew. Almost never. Almost never. Uh, I would. I hear English 
on the streets of Tel Aviv, and it's I I guess I, uh, ironic to say it right now because we're doing a podcast in English, but it <laughs> it, it does kind of upset me. But on the other hand, you're right. I'm going to speak and, to my kids in English so and, that they know that language. But they will they okay. But and to advocate about this ugly Israeli who would say that to these twins, there it comes from a place that. What our listening listeners maybe need to understand is that throughout Israel in many cities, you have kind of Russian ghettos in which you don't see a letter in Hebrew. Everything is in Russian because in my opinion, this is my opinion, because there was no melting pot, because they weren't enforced to make leave the past behind. They were able to, unlike previous aliyahs, they were able to create their own ghettos. And when I see that and when and I see those ghettos in French, Which is happening right now. Like it's if you not, go to Bouglashov. Yeah, it's not it's fun. Like, I, but I, I, but not... it's just an anecdote, the, the French one, the American one. Whereas the Russian, because the, the, the immigration wave was set, set, it was huge, then you see it throughout Israel. And we feel sometimes, us Israelis that were born here, as some parts are conquered. And also we feel it's a tragedy because... People like, uh, I don't know about your parents, but parents of my Russian-speaking friends, for example, who can barely speak Hebrew, okay? And their lives are ruined because of that. They feel frustrated often. It's hard to live here without speaking Hebrew when you need to talk to people and, and to get along in the street. So it's frustrating. I think you're mixing it up a little bit. Because I, I think that when you're coming here, when you're uh, five years old or even when you're 14... It's much easier to learn Hebrew. But when you're coming here in your 40s, like my parents, it's much harder. So they speak. But not impossible. My not grandparents impossible. came no, here speak. when they were 40. That's true. They speak. But my grandparents had no chance. Right. No chance. Yes. I think I'm looking at it differently. Okay. I think this huge immigration wave, you're right. They, they were the first immigration wave that had the chance to choose because they were large enough numbers so they can go and... Oh, live in this community and speak almost only Russian. But I see it as a way of defending themselves. Because when you go to a new place, you go to a new country, you rarely move to a new state in order to stay exactly the same as you were before. Rarely. Okay? I don't think anyone will go to live in the United States in order to stay exactly in China. Okay, so maybe they will live in a China neighborhood, but they want to be American. So those came here, wanted to be Israeli. But a lot of them, as I did, had to choose. You can either erase yourself and become Israeli or for the first time you can live in this Russian neighborhood and stay as you were. I chose to erase myself. Not everyone could do that. It's very, a very, I'm not, I wouldn't do it differently because that was me. But I know that was very hard choice to do. And I paid a lot of things for that choice. I had a very long years disconnected from my parents, had no connection to them because it was so different. So I'm saying today, and the French, it's exactly the same. The problem is us. We don't know how to accept Olim. We don't know how to tell them, you're welcome. You don't have to erase yourself. You can be Israeli and continue loving your French or Russian identity. We can 
love you with the things that you're bringing. I think, but I think the system the, worked for sec. 40 years. I think it that, worked. When you look at the Yemenite family today, they have nothing to no, do oh, with the Yemen. We had, they we had great wars lives. for years, so we can do that. That's let's not true. Continue they don't have nothing it? to do for, with Yemen. Many still, of them have nothing. No, many, that's not true. Many, many of them many have of nothing them, to do with Yemen. But many of them still cook their, the Yemenite food. They still sing the Yemenite music. They still read the Torah in the Yemenite way. And a lot they of it is preserve. dead because they came in the 50s and no one asked and spoke about it. And now they, had no, and they have no one to speak about it with because the grandparents are dead. But I think but they're happy. I think just Who to say. Who says they're happy? Go ask your friends. I have a lot of friends that today are really so sorry for that, that they never ask. When I talk to my Romanian family, they want nothing to do with Romania. Which is okay. And, but many people feel that way. At least, Which is okay uh, as well. Uh, but, you know, I think the, the philosophical okay. argument is okay here start against from. what you're I saying. I do feeling that it's like the Ashkenazi Talita is feeling that something is being taken from them. Maybe now I'm not sitting alone in the table and someone has to sit with me and I have to ask someone what do you think about. So it's difficult. I'm afraid because it's not only my no, I table. Think, I think what you said before that a Chinese person who, who moves to America doesn't want to be living in China he wants to move he wants to but he, he might live in a Chinese community but he wants to be American I think that yearning is for certain values meaning you move from China to America because you you yearn simply for freedom and the same holds true for the immigration from Russia to Israel but I think what I think what a lot of people miss is that those values in society are stitched together by cultural symbols and you there it, it might not be so apparent on the surface but that these cultural symbols somehow do maintain a certain foundation of values meaning the are are the Jewish values of you know freedom or whatever it is are preserved by the cultural symbols by the tikva instead of you know or by uh, you know so in the American Manut <laughs> no I think that but I, it's not it's about it's about <laughs> it's about standing yeah no, no no it's not about loyalty it's about yeah it's funny we forget who we're talking to <laughs> but it's not about a loyalty it's about standing for certain values it's about um, but how does and that, tradition how does that like I, I don't get how does that work in the Russian so Novi good for example there. to me in a way stands for oppression because of the The fact that it was the only religion allowed by this you know or festivity no festivity it was the only religion. sorry festivity allowed by this yes. uh, oppressive you know uh, Soviet leader who you know would not allow any kind of freedom and it seems to me like you know preserving the things that were entrenched in that culture kind of preserves somewhat the values of Of that culture which are that makes sense not favorable sometimes I just want and to I'm emphasize not... before you answer that I do appreciate the things that you do no, I know, and I, 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 I do think it's am- the initiative is amazing I'm conflicted right But you know what you, you know what you're saying whoever celebrates are those people who came from the former Soviet Union they were the one that were oppressed not you mm-hmm. and they celebrated even though they were oppressed by it so Who are you to say to them yeah. you know because I guess it wasn't a, an oppression it was the only light in a world of, of oppression this holiday was the light of freedom mm-hmm. so now you're saying you came to a different country forget that light 
start over and they don't want to do that they want to live with the light that they brought with them you know what it reminds me in the 30s when the german jews came here and they insisted just like the russians to speak german and they were ridiculed and in the end of the day the germanism didn't survive here in israel they were crushed and they 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 were ridiculed to the point that no one spoke german anymore and what people said you are speaking the language and you're you're uh, you're idolizing the culture of the nazis so that's it's basically the same questions is 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 idolize is longing and yearning for a culture which which has a, you know do you think that's correct today to say that I think german so. like not speak german because of the nazis you think it's I still okay i still think the german culture and language is is intertwined with values Of Nazism. I have a friend who's my age who'll never buy Adidas or drive a Volkswagen. I, th <laughs> I thought he was crazy. I'm not I really saying did. that everybody who speaks German is a Nazi. I'm just saying you can't separate the culture from, from history. You know what I'm saying? So you're punishing today's grandchildren of those Nazis because of their parents? I'm just saying they can't deny, they can't close their eyes and deny the fact that Their culture has something to do with their history. I'm not saying that they I, are Nazis. I don't, I'm not saying they're denying it. But I, I, I'm asking how, how should you live with this today in Israel? Because this is, I guess, our question. Right. Like, whoever has a problem with this, this is okay. I'm not saying make Russian... Um, Great again. <laughs> maybe that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm not saying make Russian uh, um, a formal language in Israel, which I would say about Arabic. And I'm not even going there because a lot of things you said are very problematic about that loyalty issue, which are probably Arab Israelis are very difficult in this as well. For I'm sure. just saying their culture is relevant. And even I'm not saying their culture only looking at the, whatever there was there. Like Novi God is very different because it is a holiday that they brought from mm -hmm. there. But it's yeah. very different today. They do things differently. They eat different things. They pretty much celebrate the New Year's Eve and calling it the Novi God because it's in Russian. Mm -hmm. They're doing it exactly the same as other places do it and celebrating the New Year's Eve. And a lot of things that we do now is we do try to make it relevant for today which means making new projects making new culture not only looking at the history and making it about the past but making it about the present because we believe that this is important not to forget because we believe that you know the sentence that whatever forgets his past has no history because it's it is it's correct because he's like israelis hebrew jewish it's about the past and it's about the present it's about the future and we can't forget either of them Yeah, no, I think I, I absolutely agree. I think that I think immigration in a way is the strongest foundation for a country. I think that's why America looks, I mean, stands for I, I, I'm not part of the new trend that thinks America is the great Satan. But I think America stands for amazing things. And I think it's partly because it stands on those foundations of immigration. And I think it has to do with the fact that immigrants serve as a certain bridge in the world meaning they they bridge between cultures and but i think that there still needs to be a balance struck between uh um kind of taking on uh the new culture and shedding the old to like you're saying and i think that that's what you guys are striving to do and i think that that's why i appreciate it and i'm i'm on board with it is that 
there you you don't want to forget where you came from or who you are i think he's on my side now well I'm just, <laughs> let's leave it at that I'm, i got a foot on either side of the fence. mic drop um so alex uh, we have some very prominent listeners in america if a synagogue or i don't know a community hears this and they want to invite you guys to perform there or whatever how can people contact you how can people stay up to date with what First, you, you do you can always see us on the cultural brigade in hebrew habrigada tarbutit And they can only find me on Facebook, Alex Riff, and I would love to right. come. Right. The organization doesn't have an English website no. just yet. No. Okay. Cool. So, before we go... We have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal uh, out in L.A. The Jewish Journal is a source for news, um, and they have great columns and editorials, so check them out at jewishjournal.com. And we accept donations, so if you want to help us, we do this on our spare time... Just go to 2NJB.com slash donate and you know the drill. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much, Alex, for, for coming. Me. It was really interesting. It really was. Indeed. I'm happy Thanks. we had this conversation. Thanks. Good luck. Bye.